All right, we are going to be reading um, chapters 21 through 25 of Stargirl. Stargirl is written by Jerry Spinelli and is published by Scholastic. Chapter 21. On weekends and after dinner, we delivered many potted violets and congratulations balloons and cards of many sentiments. She made her own cards. She wasn't a great artist. Her people were stick figures. The girls all had triangle skirts and pigtails. You would never mistake one of her cards for a hallmark but I have never seen cards more heartfelt. They were meaningful in the way that a school child's homemade Christmas card is meaningful. She never left her name. But finally, after much pestering from me, she did tell me how she knew what was going on in people's lives. It was simple, she said. She read the daily paper. Not the headlines or the front page or the sports page or the comics or the TV listings or the Hollywood gossip. What she read were the parts that most people ignored. The parts without headlines and pictures, the boondocks of the paper, the hospital admissions, the death notices, the birthday and wedding announcements, the police blotter, the coming events calendar. Most of all, she read the fillers. I love fillers, she exclaimed. What are fillers, I said. She explained that fillers are little items that are not considered important enough to be a story or to have a headline. They're never more than one column wide, never more than an inch or two deep. They are most commonly found at the bottoms of inside pages where the eye seldom travels. If the editors had their way, they would never use fillers. But sometimes a reporter doesn't write quite enough words and the story doesn't reach all the way to the bottom of the page. The paper can't have a blank space there, so the editor dumps in a filler. A filler doesn't need to be news. It doesn't need to be important. It doesn't even need to be read. All it's asked to do is take up space. A filler might come from anywhere and be about anything. It might tell how many pounds of rice a typical Chinese person eats in a lifetime, or say something about beetles in Sumatra. Or the filler might come from down the street. It might mention that so-and-so's cat is missing or that so-and-so has a collection of antique marbles. I search through fillers like a prospector digging for gold, she said. So that's it? I said. You read the papers? No, she said. That's not all. There's also the place where I get my hair cut. I always overhear good stuff there. And of course, there are bulletin boards. Do you know how many bulletin boards there are in town? Sure, I said facetiously. I count them every day. So do I, she said, not kidding. So far, I'm up to 41. Offhand, I couldn't think of one except the plywood roadrunner. What do you learn from bulletin boards? Oh, somebody just opened a business. Somebody lost a dog. Somebody needs a companion. Who advertises for a companion, I said. Who needs one that bad? Lonely people, she said. Old people. Just somebody to sit with them for a while. I pictured Stargirl sitting in a dark room with an old woman. I couldn't picture myself doing the same thing. Sometimes she seemed so far from me. We were passing piece of pizza. There's a bulletin board in there, she said. It was just inside the door. It was smothered with business cards and notices. I pointed to one that said, Odd jobs. Ask for Mike. Call this number. So what's that tell you? I said, with more challenge in my voice than I intended. She read it. Well, it could be that Mike lost his regular job and can't find another, so he's hiring himself out. Or, even if he has a regular job, it's not enough to make ends meet. He's either not very neat, or he can't afford a whole piece of paper. This is just a scrap. So, what would you do for him, I said. Oh, I don't know. My parents might have an odd job they need done, or maybe I do. 
Or maybe I could just send him a card. What kind of card would he get? A keep your chin up card, she poked me. Hey, want to play a card game? I had a feeling she wasn't talking about poker. Sure, I said. She said she invented it. All you need is your eyes and one other person. I pick somebody on the street, the mall, a store, wherever, and I follow them. Say it to her. I follow her for 15 minutes, not a minute more. I time myself. The game is, after 15 minutes of watching her, I have to guess what kind of card she needs. But how can you get it to her? I said. You don't know where she lives. True. That's as far as it goes. That's why it's just a game. It's just for fun. She snuggled into me. She whispered in my ear. Let's play. I said, sure. She said we needed a mall. I usually steered us away from the Mecca Mall. Too many silent treatment MAHS kids hanging around there. We drove 10 miles to the Redstone Mall. It was a Saturday afternoon. We picked out a woman, lined with green squirt, white sandals. We guessed her age was early 40s. She was buying a soft pretzel, regular salted, at Annie Ann's. She carried the pretzel in a little white paper bag. We followed her into the Suncoast video. We overheard her ask for when Harry met Sally. They didn't have it. She passed Sonoma, then came back and went in. She wandered about, touching pottery with one fingertip, feeling surfaces. She stopped before the dinner plates. She lifted one with a French cafe painted on it. Van Gogh, Stargirl whispered. The lady seemed to think about the plate, even closed her eyes, holding it to her chest with both hands, as if feeling vibrations. But then she put it back and walked out. On to Sears. I was uneasy, spying from behind a rack of frilly somethings. She was flipping through nightshirts when time ran out. Stargirl and I conferred in the corridor. Okay, she said. What do you think? I think I feel like a stalker, I said. A good stalker, she said. You first, I said. Well, she's divorced and lonely. No wedding ring. Wants somebody in her life. A home life. She wishes she were Sally and her Harry would come along. She would make him dinner and snuggle with him at night. She tries to eat low-fat foods. She works for a travel agency. She took a free cruise last year, but all she met on the boat were creeps. Her name is Clarissa. She played the clarinet in high school, and her favorite soap is Irish Spring. I boggled. How do you know all that? She laughed. I don't. I'm just guessing. That's what makes it fun. So what card would you send her? She put her finger to her lips. Hmm... To Clarissa, I would send a while you're waiting for Harry to be good to yourself card. How about you? I would send a... I'm old over the phrasing. A don't let Harry catch you flicking card? Now it was her turn to boggle. Huh? Didn't you see her pick her nose, I said, in Suncoast? Not really. I saw her hand go to her nose like she was scratching it or something. Yeah, or something. She was picking, that's what. She was quick and sneaky, a real pro. She gave me a playful shove. You're kidding. I held up my hands. I'm serious. She was standing in front of the comedies. Her finger went in, and when it came out, there was something on it. She carried it around for about a minute, and then just as she was leaving Suncoast when she thought nobody was looking, she flicked it. I didn't see where it landed. She stared at me. I raised my right hand and put my left over my heart. No lie. She broke out laughing so loudly I was embarrassed. She grabbed my arm with both hands to keep from collapsing. Mall walkers stared. We carded two others that day, a woman who spent her whole 15 minutes feeling leather jackets. We called her Betty. And a man we called Adam because of his huge Adam's apple, which we renamed Adam's pumpkin. 
No more pick and flickers. And I did have fun. Whether it came from the game or simply from being with her, I don't know. I do know I was surprised at how close I felt to Clarissa and Betty and Adam after watching them for only 15 minutes. Throughout the day, Stargirl had been dropping money. She was the Johnny Appleseed of loose change, a penny here, a nickel there, tossed to the sidewalk, laid on a shelf or bench, even quarters. I hate change, she said. It's so jangly. Do you realize how much you must throw away in a year? Did you ever see a little kid's face when he spots a penny on a sidewalk? She said. When her change purse was empty, we drove back to Mika. Along the way, she invited me to dinner at her house. Chapter 22 Archie had claimed the Caraways were normal folks, but I still couldn't imagine Stargirl coming from an ordinary home. I think I expected a leftover hippie scene from the 1960s. Make love, not war. Her mother in a long skirt with a flower in her hair. Her father's face framed in a mutton chop sideburns, saying groovy and ride on a lot. Grateful Dead posters, psychedelic lampshades. So, I was surprised. Her mother wore shorts and a tank top as she worked the pedal of a sewing machine with her bare foot. She was making a Russian peasant costume for a play to be presented in Denver. Mr. Carraway was on a stepladder outside painting windowsills. No mutton chops. In fact, not much hair at all. The house itself could have been anyone's. Glossy bent wood furniture, throw rugs over hardwood floors, southwest accents, and an Anasazi-style wedding vase here, a Georgia O'Keeffe print there. Nothing to proclaim, you see, she came from here. Same with her room. Except for Cinnamon's blue and yellow plywood apartment in one corner, it might have belonged to any high school girl. I stood in the doorway. What? she asked. I'm surprised, I said. At what? I thought your room would be different. How so? I don't know. More you. She grinned. Stacks of fillers, a card-making operation. Something like that. That's my office, she said. She let Cinnamon out. He scurried under her bed. This is my room. You have an office? Yep. She stuck her foot out, her foot under the bed. When it came out, Cinnamon was aboard. I wanted to have a place all, all my own where I could go to work, so I got one. Cinnamon scampered out of the room. Where is it? I said. She put her finger to her lips. Secret? Bet I know one person who knows, I said. She raised her eyebrows. Archie? She smiled. He was talking about you, I said. He likes you. He means the world to me, she said. I think of him as my grandfather. My inspection yielded two curious items. One was a wooden bowl half filled with sand-colored hair. Yours? I said. She nodded. For birds looking for nest materials. I put it out in spring. Been doing it since I was a little girl. I got more business up north than here. The other item was on a bookshelf. It was a tiny wagon about the size of my fist. It was made of wood and looked like it might have been an antique toy. It was piled high with pebbles. Several other pebbles lay about the wagon wheels. I pointed to it. You collecting stones or what? It's my happy wagon, she said. Actually, it could just as well be called an unhappy wagon, but I prefer happy. So what's it all about? It's about how I feel. When something makes me happy, I put a pebble in the wagon. If I'm unhappy, I take a pebble out. There are 20 pebbles in all. I counted three on the shelf. So there are 17 in the wagon right now, right? Right. So that means what? You're pretty happy? Right again. 
What's the biggest number of pebbles ever in the wagon? She gave me a sly smile. You're looking at it. It didn't seem like just a pile of pebbles anymore. Usually, she said, it's more balanced. It hangs around ten, a couple to one side or the other, back and forth, back and forth, like life. How close to empty did the wagon ever get? I said. Oh. She turned her face to the ceiling, closing her eyes. Once down to three. I was shocked. Really? You? She stared. Why not me? You don't seem the type. And what type is that? I don't know. I groped for the right words. The three pebble type, she offered. I shrugged. She picked up a pebble from the shelf and with a grin dropped it into the wagon. Well, call me Miss Unpredictable. I joined the family for dinner. Three of us had meatloaf. The fourth, guess who, was a strict vegetarian. She had tofu loaf. Her parents called her Stargirl and Star as casually as if it were Jennifer. After dinner, we sat on her front step. She had brought her camera out. Three little kids, two girls and a boy, were playing in a driveway across the street. She took several pictures of them. Why are you doing that? I asked her. See the little boy in the red cap? She said. His name is Peter Sinkowitz. He's five years old. I'm doing his biography, sort of. For the tenth time that day, she had caught me off guard. Biography? Peter Sinkowitz was coasting down his driveway in a four-wheeled plastic banana. The two little girls were running, screaming after him. Why would you want to do that? She snapped a picture. Don't you wish somebody came up to you today and gave you a scrapbook called The Life of Leo Borlock? And it's a record, like a journal, of what you did on such and such a date when you were little, from the days you can't remember anymore. And there's pictures and even stuff that you dropped or threw away like a candy wrapper. And it was all done by some neighbor across the street, and you didn't even know she was doing it. Don't you think when you're 50 or 60 you'd give a fortune to have such a thing? I thought about it. It was 10 years since I had been six. It seemed like a century. She was right about one thing. I didn't remember much about those days, but I didn't really care either. No, I said, I don't think so. And anyway, don't you think his parents are doing that? Family albums and all? One of the little girls managed to wrest the banana roadster away from Peter Sinkowitz. Peter started howling. I'm sure they are, she said, snapping another picture. But those pictures and those moments are posed and smiling. They're not as real as this. Someday he's going to love this picture of himself bawling while a little girl rides off in his toy. I don't follow him around like we did Clarissa. I just keep an eye out for him. And a couple times a week I jot down what I saw him doing that day. I'll do it for a few more years, then I'll give it to his parents to give to him when he's older and ready to appreciate it. A puzzled look came over her face. She poked me with her elbow. What? Huh, I said. You're staring at me really funny. What is it? I blurted. Are you running for saint? I regretted the words as soon as they left my lips. She just looked at me, hurt in her eyes. Sorry, I said. I didn't mean to sound nasty. How did you mean to sound? Amazed, I guess. At what? I laughed. What do you think? You? I laughed again. I stood before the steps facing her. Look at you. It's Saturday. I've been with you all day and you've spent the whole day doing stuff for other people or paying attention to other people or following other people or taking pictures of other people. She looked up at me. The hurt was gone from her eyes, but not the puzzlement. She blinked. So? So, I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. 
Sounds like you're saying I'm obsessed with other people. Is that it? Maybe it was the angle, but her fawn's eyes looking up at me seemed larger than ever. I had to make an effort to keep my balance lest I fall into them. You're different, I said. That's for sure. She batted her eyelids and gave me a flirty grin. Don't you like different? Sure I do, I said, maybe a little too quickly. A look of sudden discovery brightened her face. She reached out with her foot and tapped my sneaker. I know what your real problem is. Really? I said. What? You're jealous. You're upset because I'm paying all this attention to other people and not enough to you. Right, I sniffed. I'm jealous of Peter Sinkowitz. She stood. You just want me all to yourself, don't you? She stepped into my space. The tips of our noses were touching. Don't you, Mr. Leo? Her arms were around my neck. We were on the sidewalk in front of her house, in full view. What are you doing? I said. Giving you some attention, she cooed. Don't you want some attention? I was losing my battle for balance. I don't know, I heard myself say. You're really dumb, she whispered in my ear. Yeah? Yeah. Why do you think there are 18 pebbles in my wagon? And in the last remaining space between our lips were gone and I was falling headlong into her eyes right there on Palo Verde after dinner. And I can tell you, that was no saint kissing me. Chapter 23. Those were the best times when we were alone together out of school. We took long walks around town and into the desert to her enchanted place. We sat on park benches and people watched. I introduced her to strawberry banana smoothies. I borrowed the pickup and drove us to Red Red Rock in Glendale. On weekends, we went to Archie's. On his back porch, we talked of a thousand things and laughed and swooned in pipe smoke and ate pizza. She presented her oratorical contest speech to Senor Saguaro. We never spoke of the shunning. I loved weekends. But Mondays always followed after Sundays. And the shunning, it was clear now, had come to me. It was less absolute for me than for her, but it was there. I saw it in the eyes that shifted away from mine, the shoulders that turned, the chatter that seemed less loud around me now than before. I fought it. I tested its limits. In the courtyard between classes and the lunchroom, I called out to others just to see if they would respond. When someone turned and nodded, I felt grateful. If someone spoke to me, especially if I had not spoken first, I wanted to cry. I had never realized how much I needed the attention of others to confirm my own presence. I told myself that the shunning was more painful for me than for Stargirl. I told myself that she was too busy being herself to notice that she was being ignored. And in fact, she continued to give birthday people a ukulele serenade and to decorate her desk and to distribute assorted kindnesses. I told myself that even if she did notice, she wouldn't care. I understood why this was happening to me. In the eyes of the student body, she was part of my identity. I was her boyfriend. I was. Mr. Stargirl. Students said things, not to me, not directly, but tuned for me to overhear even as they pretended I was nowhere near. They said she was a self-centered spotlight hogger. They said she thought she was some kind of saint. I cringed at that. And that she was better than the rest of us. They said she wanted everyone else to feel guilty for not being as nice and as wonderful as she was. They said she was a phony. Most of all, they said she was the reason why the Mika Electrons were not soon to become Arizona State basketball champions. Kevin had been right. 
when she started cheering for other teams, she did something bad to her own team. To see one of their own priming the opposition did something to the team's morale that hours of practice could not overcome. And the last straw, everyone seemed to agree, was the Sun Valley game, when Stargirl rushed across the court to aid Kovac, the Sun Valley star. All of this was affirmed by our own star, Ardsley himself, who said that when he saw a Mika cheerleader give, giving comfort to the enemy, the heart went out of him. She was why they lost the next game so miserably to Red Rock. They hated her for it, and they would never forgive. Unlike Stargirl, I was aware of the constant anger of our schoolmates, seething like snakes under a porch. In fact, I was not only aware of it, but at times I also understood their point of view. There were even moments when something small and huddled within me agreed with it. But then I would see her smile and take a swan dive into her eyes, and the bad moment would be gone. I saw, I heard, I understood, I suffered. But whose sake was I suffering for? I kept thinking of Senor Seguaro's question. Whose affection do you value more? Hers or the others? I became angry. I resented having to choose. I refused to choose. I imagined my life without her and without them, and I didn't like it either way. I pretended it would not always be like this. In the magical moonlight of my bed at night, I pretended she would become more like them, and they would become more like her. And in the end, I would have it all. Then she did something that made pretending impossible. Chapter 24 Roadrunner No one said the word to me directly, but I kept hearing it since I arrived at school one day, several days after the kiss on the sidewalk. It seemed more dropped behind than spoken, so that I kept walking into it. Roadrunner Was there something on the plywood roadrunner that I should read? I had study hall coming up third period. I'd look into it then. In the meantime, I had second period Spanish. As I headed for my seat, I looked out the window, which faced the courtyard. There was something written on the roadrunner, all right, but I wouldn't have to go outside to read it. I could read it from here. I could have read it from a low-flying airplane. White paper. No, it was a bed sheet. Covered the whole bird. Painted on the sheet in broad red brush strokes was a valentine heart enclosing the words. Stargirl loves Leo. My first impulse was to drag the Spanish teacher to the window and say, Look, she loves me. My second impulse was to run outside and rip the sign away. Until now, I had never been the target of her public extravagance. I felt a sudden, strange kinship with Hillary Kimball. I understood why she had commanded Stargirl not to sing to her. I felt spotlighted on a bare stage. I couldn't concentrate on my schoolwork or anything else. I was a mess. At lunch that day, I was afraid to look at her. I counted one blessing. I had not yet worked up the nerve to sit with her each day. I kept stoking my conversation with Kevin. I felt her presence, her eyes, three tables to my left. I knew she was sitting there with Dory Dilson, the only friend who had not deserted her. I felt the, t the faint tug of her gaze on the back of my neck. Ignoring my wishes, my head turned on its own, and there she was, smiling to the beat the band smiling to beat the band waving grandly and horrors blowing me a kiss i snapped my head back and dragged kevin out of the lunchroom when i finally dared to look again at the courtyard i found that someone had torn the sign away thumbtacks at the corners pinned four white scraps of bedsheet to the plywood 
I managed to avoid her by taking different routes between classes, but she found me after school, came shouting after me as I tried to slink away. Leo! Leo! She ran up to me breathless, bursting, her eyes sparkling in the sun. Did you see it? I nodded. I kept walking. Well, she was hopping beside me, punching my shoulder. What'd you think? What could I say? I didn't want to hurt her feelings. I just shrugged. Wow, that impressed, huh? She was mocking me. She reached into her bag and pulled out her rat. Maybe he's shy, Cinnamon. Maybe he'll tell you how thrilled he was to see the sign. She set him on my shoulder. I yelped. I swept the rat off and sent him flying to the ground. She scooped him up and stroked him, all the while staring at me dumbstruck. I could not face her. I turned and walked on alone. She called. I guess you don't want to hear me practice my speech, huh? I didn't answer. I didn't even look back. The next day, I faced the full impact of the sign. I thought I had truly suffered from the spillover of Stargirl shunning, but that was nothing now that the full torrent was turned on me. Of course, Kevin, thankfully, talked to me. So did a few other friends. But the rest was silence, a second desert imposed upon the one I already lived in, where high was as rare as rain. I came to the courtyard in the morning before opening bell, and all I saw were backs of heads. People shouldered past me, calling others. Doors closed in my face. There was laughter. There was fun. But it skipped over me like a flat stone on water. One morning, as I was running a teacher's errand, I saw someone named Renshaw walking across the courtyard. I barely knew the kid, but we were the only two in the courtyard at the moment, and I had to, so to speak, touch the stove that I knew was hot. Renshaw, I called. There was no other voice but mine. Renshaw! He never turned, never wavered, never slowed down. He kept walking away from me, opened a door, and was gone. So what? I kept telling myself. What do you care? You never speak to each other. What's Renshaw to you? But I did care. I couldn't help myself from caring. At that moment, there was nothing more I wanted in the world than a nod from Renshaw. I prayed that the door would burst open and he would be there saying, Sorry, Borlock, I wasn't listening. What'd you want? But the door stayed closed, and I knew what it felt like to be invisible. I'm invisible, I said to Kevin at lunch. Nobody hears me, nobody sees me. I'm the invisible man. Kevin just looked at his lunch and wagged his head. How long is it going to go on, I demanded. He shrugged. What did I do? My voice was louder than I intended. He chewed, he stared, and at last he said, you know what you did. I stared at him like he was crazy. I badgered him some more. But of course he was perfectly right. I knew exactly what I had done. I had linked myself to an unpopular person. That was my crime. Chapter 25. Days passed. I continued to avoid Stargirl. I wanted her. I wanted them. It seemed I could not have both, so I did nothing. I ran and hid. But she did not give up on me. She hunted me down. She found me in the TV studio after school one day. I felt fingers slipping down the back of my neck, grabbing my collar, pulling me backward. The crew was staring. Mr. Borlock, I heard her say, we need to talk. Her voice told me she was not smiling. She released my collar. I followed her out of the room. 
In the courtyard, a couple cooing on the bench between the palmetto saw us coming and bolted. So that's where we sat. So, she said, are we breaking up already? I don't want to, I said. So why are you hiding from me? Forced to face her, forced to talk, I felt my gumption rising. Something's got to change, I said. That's all I know. You mean like change clothes or change a tire? Should I change a tire on my bike? Would that do it? You're not funny. You know what I mean. She saw I was upset. Her face got serious. People aren't talking to me, I said. I stared at her. I wanted it to sink in. People I've known ever since we moved here. They don't talk to me. They don't see me. She reached out and lightly rubbed the back of my hand with her fingertip. Her eyes were sad. I'm sorry people don't see you. It's no fun not being seen, is it? I pulled my hand away. Well, you tell me what it's like. Doesn't it bother you that nobody talks to you? It was the first time I had openly mentioned the shunning to her. She smiled. Dory talks to me. You talk to me. Archie talks to me. My family talks to me. Cinnamon talks to me. Senor Seguaro talks to me. I talk to me. She cocked her head and stared at me, waiting for a responding smile. I didn't give it. Are you going to stop talking to me? That's not the question, I said. What is the question? The question is, I tried to read her face, but I couldn't. What makes you tick? Now I'm a clock. I turned away. See, I can't talk to you. It's all just a big joke. She put my face between her hands and turned me to her. I hoped people were not watching from the windows. Okay, serious now. Go ahead, ask me the tick question again, or any other question at all. I shook my head. You just don't care, do you? That stumped her. Care? Leo, how can you say I don't care? You've gone with me to places. We've delivered cards and flowers. How can you say... That's not what I mean. I mean, you don't care what people think. I care what you think. I care... I know you care what Cinnamon and Senor Saguaro think. I'm talking about the school, the town. I'm talking about everybody. She sniffed around the word. Everybody? Right. You don't seem to care what everybody thinks. You don't seem to know what everybody thinks. You... She broke in. Do you? I thought for a moment. I nodded sharply. Yeah. Yeah, I think I do know. I'm in touch with everybody. I'm one of them. How could I not know? And it matters? Sure it matters. Look, I waved my arm at the school around us. Look what's happening. Nobody talks to us. You can't just not care what anybody thinks. You can't just cheer for the other team and expect your own school to love you for it. Words that I had been thinking for weeks rolled off my tongue now. Kovac. Kovac, for goodness sake. What was that all about? She was baffled. Who's Kovac? Kovac, the guy from Sun Valley, the basketball star, the guy who broke his ankle. She was still baffled. What about him? What about him? What about you? What were you doing out there on the floor with him with his head in your lap? He was in pain. He was the enemy, Stargirl, Susan, whatever, the enemy. She stared dumbly back at me. She had blinked at Susan. There were a thousand Sun Valley people there. He had his own people to take care of him, his own coaches, his own teammates, his own cheerleaders' laps, and you had your own team to worry about. I was screeching. I got up and walked away. I came back, leaned into her. 
Why, I said, why didn't you just let him be taken care of by his own people? She looked at me for a long time, as if in my face she could finally find herself explained. I don't know, she said dimly at last. I didn't think, I just did. I pulled back. I was tempted to say, well, I hope you're satisfied because they hate you for what you did. But I didn't have the heart. Now I was feeling sorry for her. I sat back down beside her. I took her hand. I smiled. I spoke as gently as I could. Stargirl, you just can't do things the way you do. If you weren't stuck in a homeschool all your life, you'd understand. You can't just wake up in the morning and say you don't care what the rest of the world thinks. Her eyes were wide, her voice peepy like a little girl's. You can't? Not unless you want to be a hermit. She flicked the hem of her skirt at my sneaker, dusting it. But how do you keep track of the rest of the world? Sometimes I can hardly keep track of myself. It's not something you even have to think about, I said. You just know because you're connected. On the ground, her bag shifted slightly. Cinnamon was stirring. Stargirl's face went through a series of expressions, ending with a pout and a sudden sobby outburst. I'm not connected. She reached out to me, and we hugged on the bench in the courtyard and walked home together. We continued this conversation for the next couple of days. I explained the ways of people to her. I said, you can't cheer for everybody. She said, why not? I said, a person belongs to a group. You can't belong to everyone. She said, why not? I said, you can't just barge into the funeral of a perfect stranger. She said, why not? I said, you just can't. She said, why? I said, because. I said, you have to respect other people's privacy. There's such a thing as not being welcome. I said, not everybody likes having somebody with a ukulele sing happy birthday to them. They don't, she said. This group thing, I said, it's very strong. It's probably an instinct. You find it everywhere, from little groups like families to big ones like a town or school to really big ones like a whole country. How about really, really big ones, she said, like a planet. Whatever, I said. The point is, in a group, everybody acts pretty much the same. That's kind of how groups hold itself together. Everybody, she said. Well, mostly, I said. That's what jails and mental hospitals are for, to keep it that way. You think I should be in jail? She said. I think you should try to be more like the rest of us, I said. Why? She said. Because. Tell me, she said. It's hard, I said. Say it. Because nobody likes you, that's why. Nobody likes you. Nobody? She said. Her eyes covered me like the sky. Nobody? I tried to play dumb, but that wasn't working. Hey, I said, don't look at me. We're talking about them. Them. If it was up to me, I wouldn't change a thing. You're fine with me the way you are. But we're not alone, are we? We live in a world of them, like it or not. That's where I tried to keep it, on them. I didn't mention myself. I didn't say do it for me. I didn't say if you don't change, you can forget about me. I never said that. But two days later, Stargirl vanished.